So last time we left off, I wrote in my notes, we left off in Ephesians 3.20. No? Seems familiar. Ephesians 3.20. I was talking to Langston and he was telling me about, you know, last week and the confusion which was really lack of communication, which was miscommunication. I won't say lack of communication. Miscommunication on my part with uh, Denku and, and, uh, and not communicating with Langston and them. But I told Langston that's a great opportunity to take your thoughts captive. And because uh, stuff like that can just get in and irritate you and aggravate you and so it's a good opportunity to take your thoughts captive and how that, uh, you know, what the Lord's been doing with me here lately is, uh, well, we'll turn there. Go to 1 Corinthians first. What He's been doing with me here lately is really taking me through a process of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love. Now, there's a difference between being gullible and being graceful. In other words, um, love is not gullible. Love just looks beyond the current situation, the current circumstances. And so 1 Corinthians 13, I love this chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. So, then he goes on in verse 11, and when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood a child, but when I... And I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things, which tells me that putting away some of those things that we're tempted to do in the absence of love is childish. And that a man or an adult or a mature Christian will take those thoughts captive and bring them under the obedience of the Word of God. And I... You know, with us as a church, as believers, it seems to me like sometimes we're more prone to think the worst of the situation rather than the best. And I, I believe I know the answer to why. The answer to why is because we've an unrenewed mind, a carnal living. Carnality has gotten into the church so much to where we're so carnally minded, we're so fleshly minded, that we're not spiritually minded. We're not thinking kingdom mindedness at all times. We're thinking fleshly mindedness. I was listening the other day about the any technology that comes now, they is geared to remove the weight as, as a human being. In other words, if there's any technology, it's used to speed up text messaging response. Or your, you know, one window at a drive-thru is not enough. Let's do two windows so that people don't have to wait as long. Does that make sense? So it's, it's, it's like our society and technology caters to the flesh to such a degree that when you're forced to be patient and wait, we don't like it. So our world and our system is dictated by that atmosphere, uh, atmospheric pressure. You were talking about going to uh, Atlanta and how that when you go further north, 
the pressure gets uh, lighter. The air is thinner as you get higher elevation. And so it becomes harder for you to catch your breath. But the further down you go, the further south you go, the more the pressure gets the, the, or the, the thicker the oxygen is, the more you feel energized. All right, so the atmospheric pressure in the spirit is the same. We live in a world that is constantly being pressed by the prince and the power of the air, Satan. Now, Satan and his uh, strategy or his main strategy is deception. And how does he deceive? He deceives us through our thoughts. He deceives people. Satan has no authority except that which he illegally deceives man into giving him in this earth. That's why he can't just kill anybody he wants to kill. That's why it takes, uh, it takes sometimes years of a demonic plan and a scheme to really fabricate some of the disasters that happen uh, in airplanes, you know, trains, automobiles, and all that stuff, it takes sometimes months and years of him strategizing to legally get people to turn over their free will and their, and their uh, authority to allow the enemy to come in and to destroy because he comes to destroy and kill. So we live in that atmosphere where he's constantly trying to put pressure on us. So love rises up and assumes the best, believes the best, hopes the best. Think about the last time you were faced with a situation, maybe last Wednesday night, you know, or maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago where somebody, you heard something or you, 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 you saw something or you heard something and what's the first thought that comes in your mind? Is it positive? Is it love? Or is it? They looked at me funny. Are they mad at me? You know what I'm saying? Or she didn't wave at me. Or he didn't say hey to me. Or whatever it may be. And it causes us to live in this atmosphere where the enemy's always trying to bring an accusation. Whereas love, love suffers long. And is kind. Love is kind. Where's the kindness? You know, it's kind. Um, we know that faith works by love, but that's not just the love that we know that God has for us. It works through our demonstration of love. You can't exercise your faith and be in hatred. And dis you, you see what I'm saying? A lot of times, sometimes the reason why our faith doesn't work in situations is because we've got something over here that's hindering our faith from being in operation. If faith works by love. This tells me that it doesn't matter how good your prophecies are. It doesn't matter how big your faith is. It doesn't matter how much you know. If you don't have love, you're nothing. And the world is craving for people to love them. My, the uh, trash comes by on Mondays and I'm still trying to get to used to the schedule. <laughs> so I hear the truck coming and I'm, you know, two acres down in the driveway. And so I grab the trash can and I'm sprinting to the road because, I mean, we got a ton of trash. And I'm, so I'm waving the guy down so they stop, wait for me. And, I <laughs> and the guy looks like he's ready to punch somebody. And I said, hey, man, how you doing? You having a good day? And he said, nope, I sure ain't. I ain't having a good day. And I was like, all right. So your flesh wants to respond and react. But I said, well, you know what? I'm going to pray that you have a blessed day in Jesus' name. Demonstrating love. And he instantly smiled, cracked a smile. He said, well, I sure hope so. I said, no, I ain't hoping. I know it. I almost want to wait next week. So we run the trash can out there and go, so how was your day last week? Because people are looking for that love. They're craving that love. And love will conquer all of that. Anyway, so that's just something that the Lord's been taking me through. Walking in love. And it's, and, it's, and it's not that it's not in our nature. It is in our nature. 
It's just that our flesh is constantly being bombarded and influenced by the, the world system. And we've got to be careful and we've got to be on guard. And amen? We've got to be on guard. Because the enemy's going to come and he's going to accuse you. Well, where was Russell last week? I don't know. And the enemy comes and goes, well, he's probably mad at you. He probably didn't like what you said. See what I'm saying? Well, how come Earl wasn't here? I don't know. Maybe something's wrong. Maybe Earl's offended. The enemy's always going to try. No, let's just believe the best, hope the best, think the best, investigate, encourage, love on them. But let us walk in love and we'll keep out that system. Amen? All right, so back to Ephesians. That's where we were. All right, so Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able, so you could, the ability to be there, right? Ability can be present but not released, right? Isn't that, are you getting the same thing from that that I get? Because if I go, Bill, can you come help me do something? And Bill goes, well, I'm able to do it. Does that mean that he's going to do it? No, it just means that the ability is present for him to do it. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. So there's a power that works in us. Now, go to Mark chapter 6. Yeah. Yes. In other words, it is according to the degree that we allow, the degree that we understand, the degree that we release that power to be at work with us. Um, the Amplified Version says this, according to His power that is at work within us. Okay? The Message Version says He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, His Spirit deeply and gently within us. But we have to allow it. It's according to the power that works in us. All of us have the same power that works in us, right? So if He's able to do something, but it's according to the power that works in Earl and according to the power that works in me, if I'm allowing His power to be at work within me more, does that mean I have more power? No. It just means I'm allowing that power to work within me more than you're allowing it. Does that make sense? When you were talking, I was thinking about the response. Okay. Mm -hmm. Two of them come back and they're sharing the grace and they're saying, man, your plan was just to take every place. Oh, but man, they see us. They're like giants and we're like puppies. Well, what works? Two of them have faith in the ability of God the Father and what He said they could do. The other ten looked at the circumstances and did not believe it. So they allowed the negative ten to win over the situation. Mm hmm. See, to me, that verse tells me that God's ability has nothing to do with it. He's able. Everybody knows He's able. Well, then why can't He? Because it's according to the power that works in us. Yeah, well, yeah, that's where I'm, that's where I'm headed. Mark chapter, uh, what did I say, Mark chapter 6? Mark chapter 6, okay? Now watch this. Mark chapter 6, 
verse 1. I got it wrote down another version that really opens that thing up, but I can't find it right now. I'll find it later. Ephesians, I mean uh, Mark chapter 6. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is it that which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So were there mighty works being done by his hands that they saw or heard about? Okay. So not only did Jesus astonish them with his words and his revelation, there was an anointing on what he said. And it touched the spirits and the hearts of the men and the people that were listening. And in conjunction with that was the evidence, the mighty works that they had heard or saw him doing. Is that fair to say? Okay. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Now listen, underline that word and pay attention to that just for a second. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own home country, among his own relatives, and among his own house. Now he could do no mighty work, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of what? So... Was the power present for him to do mighty works in his own hometown? So God is able. So the ability was there. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask. Was that ability to do exceedingly abundantly above all that Nazareth, Nazarene people could expect? Was that ability present? But he said... Because we know that the Word of God is timeless. We know that even though this particular section of Scripture in, 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 in Ephesians was written after Jesus' death, we know that it spans the time from beginning to the end because it's still from God. It was still penned by men, but the revelation came from God. So the Word of God is still true, right? Okay? So if that principle was true then, then it was true at that moment. Why could Jesus do nobody work in his own hometown? Now, how did they do that, though? What was it? What was it that stopped up the mighty works? Their unbelief. What is unbelief? Okay, so it was interesting because he didn't say that they didn't have enough faith. He didn't say that there he could do no mighty work because they had small faith, little faith. No. He said they could do no mighty work because of what? Their unbelief. But remember, I told you to underline that word offended. How does unbelief come in? In that particular situation, how did unbelief come in? They got offended. What is an offense? Who is this? Who does he think he is? Right there. See, there are people that you and I, I'll say us, will come in contact with that everything that is in our life I have to give them not because of me but because of what God has put in me but if they are offend, if they get offended at me it stops that ability from being able to work in their life you see that so you go back to Ephesians now God is able so the ability is there to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think, according to or in conjunction with or to the degree that we allow that knowledge to work with us. 
I'm not adding to it. I'm just explaining it, right? Isn't that what it says? It says, according to the power that works in us. So in other words, if, if the power is there and it's not working, then it ain't because it ain't the, the ability's not there. It's because of what? Recipients. See, and that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow for some people because everybody wants to blame everything on the Lord. I'm trying to pull it up in a different version. Now to him who is able, according to the power that works in us, if we don't allow the power to work in us, then it doesn't matter how much ability is there, it's not going to work. People say, well, I don't believe that. Well, then tell me how come Jesus couldn't do no mighty work in his own hometown? Because it ain't got nothing to do with his ability. And it ain't got nothing to do with the fact that he wasn't already doing it. He was already doing it. He did the same thing in Nazareth that he did in every other place. He went to the synagogue and he taught. And he demonstrated. And it says that when he was teaching, what did they do? They shut it down. So the ability was there, but how come it didn't manifest? Yes. You can, you can die of thirst and dehydration sitting right next to a well of water. But if you don't, if you don't and, and I'll even say it this way, well, they may not have, know how to draw it out. If you're thirsty enough, you'll figure out a way to get some water out of it. Um, well, maybe the well was dry. No, it says that the ability was there. So you and I can be standing right next to this living water. Actually, he said, out of our bellies. And everything that pertains to life and godliness, this is something that the Lord's really been just, it's just been weighing, it's just been in me. It's like the Lord's been saying, look, son, everything that you need is right here. I don't have to ask you for it. I just got to look down and reach down there and believe that I can pull it out. Because if, if His will, if we pray, God, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. That means it's already His will in heaven. And in order for me to manifest it down here and to get it down here, I got to tap into something that I'm not tapping into. But it's not because it's being withheld from me. It's because it's in me already. I just don't know it. I just don't. Either I don't know it or I haven't exercised it. I haven't tapped into it. And it's like everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness is already in us. Couldn't say it any better. I mean,
That's right. So, and even you go back, you go back to that story. It says that he marveled. He marveled. He was amazed. He was taken back, astonished by their unbelief. And it says that he could do no mighty work except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. It was like, it was like Jesus was like, really? I mean, do you remember when the centurions came to the Lord and he said, my servant is dying. And he said, okay, well, we'll go. He said, no, no, no. I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. I tell my servants to go and they go. I tell them to come and they come. You just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was marveled. He goes, wow. Okay, so that degree of excitement and marvel, uh, it was like, wow. He, and he, he made a point to stop teaching and go, guys, this man, I ain't seen faith like this. Okay, did this man have more faith than the disciples? See, we gotta we gotta identify we gotta identify whether or not we all have the same degree of faith or not. See, if he marveled at their unbelief and then he marveled at the guy that had great faith, it tells me that either A, they're walking and tapping into something that the rest of them weren't walking into or they were special people. Which one is it? That's right. And it went on to my friends, and one day when I was standing here, my granddaughter sitting here, and they're standing next to her, and they're friends standing next to her, and she goes, see, I told you I could do it. So when I pray that prayer, I do it with expectation of seeing a great result. That's faith. Now, Romans 12, turn there, because I want, I want to answer this question for you guys once. I want you to underline this verse. I want you to put it. I want you to study it out. I want you to just take my word for it. But I want to solidify something here that's really a foundational cornerstone for everybody. So if, if he went to Nazareth and he marveled at their unbelief, okay, then if the reason why, let me see if I can articulate it this way. If the centurion had a special faith that the disciples didn't, then Jesus was unjust in marveling at their unbelief because if he does that, then he gives people different degrees and measures of faith. So that tells me 
that there's a discrepancy and we got to figure out why. Why would he marvel at their unbelief if he marveled at this guy's faith and said, look, I ain't seen great faith. He said great faith. He didn't say greater. He said great faith. Almost like... Uh, in my mind, I, seen it, I see it like this. This man has operated in a level of authority that he understood and comprehended and exercised this belief more than the disciples did and anybody that Jesus had seen up until that point. And so he was marveled because here's a guy who's already exercising himself in a spiritual principle and these other guys, they're not even, they're not tapping into it. And so he made it a point to say, look, this guy, you know, he knows what he's, look at him now. This is some great faith. In other words, Jesus said, this is great faith. You can have, you can exercise yourself. Pay attention to what he just said. And the same thing goes true for those in Nazareth. He marveled at their unbelief. Well, why would he marvel at their unbelief if it wasn't their fault? Because you know. That's right. But he exercised. He was already exercising in that area because he understood authority. He knew because he said, look, I got servants and they do what I tell them to do. All you got to do is tell me and, I, and it's done. That's pretty powerful. Okay, so trust, uh, persuasion, okay? So Romans 12, 3, you ready? Now, I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'm going to read it from word for word from the original Greek, okay? For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, okay? As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, how many of you in your Bibles it says a measure? How many of you in your Bible says the measure? Okay? The measure is correct, not a measure. Because, see, if he gave Bill a measure and Carol a measure then their measures may not necessarily be the same. So for him to marvel at Carol's, Miss Carol's unbelief and not marvel at Brother Bill's unbelief, to me, if you marvel at somebody's unbelief, and unbelief is lack of trusting, is lack of faith, which is really not. It's really you're not allowing, you're not persuaded, so you don't, you're not accessing that faith. It, to me, it would be unfair. It would be unjust for him to marvel and to be upset. He told Peter, he said, where is your faith? Well, well, hang on just a minute now, Jesus. You gave Russell a measure of faith and you gave me a measure of faith. My measure of faith may be a little less than his measure of faith. So you can't do that on me. And Jesus didn't say, you're right. I shouldn't have put that on you. You did the best you could, Peter. You did. You did the best you could. It should have been Thomas that walked out on that water because, you know, I gave him a little bit bigger measure of faith than you did. That's not 
what it says. Now, the original Greek says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So, you, Earl, have the same measure of faith that I have. So the issue, and I'm going to throw something out there and just I'm going to pop a grenade and throw it out there with you, okay? The issue really is not faith. The issue is unbelief. Jesus didn't say he marveled because of their lack of faith. He marveled because they didn't have any faith. He marveled because of their weak faith. He marveled because of their unbelief. Now, I think it's important for us to, to, to camp on that for just a second, okay? If faith is being persuaded, okay, and it's trust, how is trust, do you just trust anybody? It's through relationship. It's through... Mm-hmm. Okay, so... You trust me because we're in relationship with each other. I trust you because I'm in, we're in relationship with each other. But that degree of trust may be less with me than it is with Carol because she's your wife. You know her better. You trust her more, not because I'm untrustworthy, but because you have been more persuaded with her. If I slap, if I hurt you, And then I keep hurting you and I say, I'm sorry. And I keep hurting you and I say, I'm sorry. And I keep hurting you and I apologize. And I keep hurting you and I keep hurting you. It's unfair of me to say, why don't you trust me? And then Granny Carol would say, because you keep hurting me. So in order for me to earn her trust back, I have to go through a season of proving to her, persuading her that I'm not going to hurt her anymore. Okay, so faith comes by hearing. You don't just hear one time and that's it. See, faith has to be fed. Faith has to be built. Faith has to be exercised. Your faith, my faith, it doesn't just come when you read the word and you accept it as truth and that's it. You've got faith. You don't ever have to read that verse again. That's not true because faith has to be fed. It's living. It's breathing. And we're constantly bombarded by this world system. So we have to feed our faith. All right, so now we have to firm, we have to continually be persuaded. And the more that I study, the more that I exercise my faith, the more I see God come through, the more persuaded that I am. Faith is a persuasion. I'm persuaded that God will do what He said He will do. So if I'm more persuaded than you are, does that mean I have more faith? No, it just means I'm exercising and more persuaded than you are in my faith. He had to have heard... He had to have seen and he had, he was persuaded enough to where he sought Jesus out. See, Jesus said, I was talking to Brother Timmy yesterday and he was talking to this guy that has got cancer. And he said, it don't take much faith. Jesus said, mustard seed. That's all the faith. You got faith as a mustard seed. You can tell this mountain to be gone and it'll be gone. 
it's not the, well, I just need more faith. No. What you just need to be confirmed, you just need to be persuaded. And then here's another thing. Here's another thing for another Wednesdays, bunch of Wednesdays. Then now what we do is we allow that persuasion and we allow our faith to govern what we think, what we say, and what we do. You believe 1 Corinthians 13? You and I believe 1 Corinthians 13. We believe in love. We should walk by love. We should live by love. Okay, now when you leave this place tonight, you will have many marvelous opportunities to test whether you're going to govern what you think, what you say, and what you do according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You will. You might, even, you might not even get home. She make you mad. You might not even get home. You call him. Casey may make you mad. You're going to have marvelous opportunities. I'm going to have marvelous opportunities before we probably even leave the parking lot. Because the enemy, according to Matthew chapter 13, Thirteen comes immediately to steal it. And that's why we have to constantly feed. No, no, no. Love suffers long. I don't care. If you punch me in the mouth, I'm going to suffer long. That don't mean I like it. It don't mean that I agree with it. But I'm not going to allow the enemy to divide us. That is allowing your faith and your persuasions to, to govern your life. The measure. You know what? He gave me muscles just like he did Russell, but you can see a battle say that he only worked a Well, that's the same thing with this whole situation. He gives it, he gives it to us, but why do we keep it? Why do we keep it? And in the spiritual, in the spiritual realm, there's no such thing as bad genetics. You know what I'm saying? Well, I can't work. I can't never look like Russell because you know, and genetically, I'm challenged. That's what people say. No, genetically up here maybe in your thoughts you are and your flesh, but no, we all are predisposed to give certain elements of excuses, and so in the kingdom of God, that's not true. There, there is no hindrance in the spirit realm. So if every one of us has been given the measure of faith and God is able, the ability is there, then why doesn't it manifest, you know, in some people's lives and in other people's lives it doesn't. Now this isn't cause for judgment, understand. I'm not saying you look at somebody and go, well the reason you ain't healed is because you ain't believing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying this for us. We got to understand some basic principles so that we can help not only ourselves but help others. Sweetheart, honey, sugar pie, it's not about his ability. It's about our belief and being persuaded in his ability to manifest, here's another one, what he's already done, what he's already accomplished. And because we are beings that is governed and dictated by sight, living by faith becomes a challenge in our current realm because nobody wants to live by faith. They want it now and they want it immediately. So now as believers, 
we have to exercise patience and our belief systems to buffer us until the manifestation of that thing comes. Does that help? So we're believing God for something. So we know His ability. I mean, nobody questions God's ability. Can God raise somebody from the dead? So it ain't got nothing to do with His ability. So then the next logical thing would be, well, it must not be God's will. See, that's the back door that the enemy wants to use to cut us out from experiencing the supernatural power that the Lord has already given to us. No, it's got nothing to do with ability. It's got everything to do with believing. good. There is, so in other words, you could say there is a cost for being persuaded. If there is a cost, that's what the Holy Spirit just said to me. If there's a cost for being persuaded, then there's a benefit for being persuaded. Or let me say it this way. If there's a cost to pressing in, then there is a reward at the end of that pressing. God's not expecting us to do this without a reward. Because he said without faith, it's impossible. So let's use the definition of faith. A firm persuasion. Without a firm persuasion, without being persuaded, it's impossible to please the Lord. Not more faith. Stronger. Let's use the word strong. Because if, if you don't, if you don't uh, and I'm not getting on to you, I'm saying I want all of us to understand, you got to stop saying more faith. Because that gives the impression that you lack something. It's not that we like, it's, it's, it's exercising, okay? We talked about how big you are, okay? It's not that you got more faith, but your faith, you became more persuaded. You were persuaded more. It's just like when you first get born again. And the enemy comes and goes, you ain't born again. And you begin to doubt. And then five or six people come by and prophetically talk to you and encourage you. And you encourage yourself and you get... Pers- the enemy never comes to me now. I'm 40 years old. The enemy never comes to me and says, you're not saved. Why? Because it doesn't work anymore. No, instead he comes to me and goes, <laughs> and says whatever else. And so the more I'm persuaded in that area, the stronger that I get to where I can say to the Lord, oh no, you ain't got to come down and manifest nothing. You've said it in your word, I believe it. And then it begins to happen. Do you see what I'm saying? That's got more to do with being, think of it as persuaded. What does it mean to be persuaded of something? It means that no matter what somebody says, you're not letting go of that persuasion. That's what faith. And now, 
we get the opportunity to live our lives according to our persuasion. Here's something else that I'll say before we close. You can have faith and be persuaded, but not allow that persuasion to govern your life and it produces the same result as not being persuaded at all. And so the enemy comes and he tells you, Michelle, you just don't have enough faith or you don't have strong enough faith and that's got nothing to do with it. Because he didn't say to Peter, he said, where's your faith? Why would he ask Peter, where's your faith, if he, Peter didn't have faith or he didn't have enough faith? He didn't say, why didn't you have enough faith? He said, where's your faith? In other words, why did you put your faith on the back burner? Why at the moment when you should allow what you think, what you say, and what you do to be governed by what I said, you didn't? That's what he was saying. Now that's powerful. But where, how did fear get in? He was looking at his circumstances and he allowed his circumstances to begin to dictate to him what was going to happen. And he, it resulted in him being distracted and for a moment of time governing what he thinks, what he says, and what he did according to what he was seeing rather than what he was believing. So the issue wasn't that he didn't have faith. The issue wasn't that it wasn't strong faith. The issue was at that moment, he took his eyes off of the one. See, this is wrapping this thing up. I'm seeing Revelation now. He took his eyes off of the one that protects us from the constant pressure of the enemy. And he put his, in, he put his mind and his attention and his gaze on the situations and the circumstances in the world where the prince and the power of the air rules and it allowed him to begin to sink. He didn't drop like a rock. It says he began to sink. So even in our unbelief, even in our unpersuasionness, it still takes a while for faith to wean to where we begin to sink. But the good news is that Jesus reached down there and grabbed him. Do you remember in, when the children of Israel... And all the snakes were biting them. And he said, as long as you keep your eyes on the serpent staff, you'll be safe. That's the same word that he used when Peter turned his gaze away from the Lord. He said, took your eyes off of him. We now more than ever need to keep our eyes on him. Uh, uh, April asked me today, she said, uh, when you went home this afternoon, did you check on your president? And I said, no, I didn't get a check, chance to check on my president today, see what's going on. I have to be careful because I'll get sucked into that thing. And then I'll start looking at the wind and the waves and I'll get caught. No, I look at it and I get my glimpse, the snapshot, and then I go before the Lord and I pray. And I say, Lord, I pray for my, I pray for my leaders, I pray for whatever. Does that make sense? You and I have to keep our eyes on Him. What we say, what we think. What we do, what we listen to, what we observe. You said last night when we were talking at the meeting, you said you've been listening to, to while you're driving, you're listening to uh, teaching, right? Dude, I commend you, brother, I commend you on that. I grew more in my spiritual walk as a young man when I stopped listening to music and I started listening to Brother Hagin and Brother Kenneth Copeland, and all a bunch of other people, my faith began to grow because all I was doing was feeding my faith. I was like Russell. That's all I was doing was going to the spiritual gym. You and I, that's what we need to do. Everything we listen, not everything, we need to be listening more and reading more and studying more and building one another up more and texting each other more. Hey, brother, don't forget. God, whoever, if God be for you, what difference does it make who's against you? We need to be doing that because that builds us up. It strengthens us.
kingdom right in the midst of everything else. Let me say what I just saw. As you and I live and breathe and eat and sleep with the kingdom of God, with Jesus at, at, at our side, at our sight, and we're feeding and nourishing and building our faith up, then when it comes time for us to govern what we think, what we say and what we do, and we begin to operate, by our faith, the natural laws of this world will yield to the kingdom of God. That's how come the centurion servant could be healed without medicine, without a doctor. Because everything in this natural world has to bow its knee to the authority of the kingdom of heaven. But we cannot exercise that authority in and of our natural self. We have to exercise authority according to God's principles, the kingdom principles, which is faith, which is persuasions, being persuaded. So we exercise that dominion and that authority over the natural realm by our beliefs and our persuasions. And when we do that, the natural laws of physics, nature, and everything bows its knee. There ain't nobody else walked on water. How does a man walk on water? Because he had a word from the Lord and he began to walk on water. I've seen men, I've heard of men walking off of platforms and just walking on the air. How's that happen? The natural laws of physics does not allow for that because the natural laws of physics has to bow its knee to the kingdom of heaven. They were persuaded. Were they not? Did they not allow, and that was in the Old Testament, did they not allow what their beliefs dictated? They allowed their beliefs to govern what they think, what they said, and what they did even to their death or what they thought. It's good stuff. I don't know about y'all. But I get more, I think I get more out of it Wednesday nights than y'all do. I have really, I mean, I've really been enjoying it because it, it, it's very low key. We can, we can really just let go of everything and just allow the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to really. But I'm seeing things and, and, and like I've never seen before. So. It's, it's been good. I've enjoyed it. I want to just tell you that I've enjoyed it. Enjoyed being with you guys. And, and, but I also want it to be helpful. I want it to be encouraging. I want it to be where we walk away from here and we have something tangible. You know what I'm saying? I, w- I want something tangible so that when I leave here, I can put that thing in my pocket. And then tomorrow morning when somebody mouths off at me, I can go, hold up. Let me pull out 1 Corinthians 13 and my belief. And I'm going to choose to live and govern my life right now. Even though you said something makes me want to slap you in the face, I'm going to allow my thoughts and my emotions and my mouth and my words and my my actions to be dictated now by what I believe, not what I feel. Now that is a mature believer. Man shall not live on bread alone.
there's a frustration and aggravation. But when you're in love and when you speak, I mean, in other words, God forbid you. I'm saying, I'm saying to you to do this because it will benefit you. Mm-hmm. Not only are you going to love the other person, but you're going to be able to Mm-hmm. And the more you walk in the the more the atmosphere around you will be That's why, you know, we met as leaders last night, and one of the things I said is that the Patriots didn't come back because Tom Brady is such a great quarterback. They didn't come back and win the game because, you know, Belichick is one of the greatest football coaches, you know, NFL coaches of all time. That's not why. It's not two men that made that happen. It was a team. All right, so if you take that mentality, Jesus sent them out two by two. So that means that at the moments when you feel your weakest, because when, when, uh, when the thoughts and the emotions and the feelings come, and they will come, they are real because your feelings and your emotions are so real that you'll get goosebumps in your flesh when you're scared or when you're cold or when you're hot, whatever it may be, that's real. That's when you dig deep and you call a brother or a sister and say, look, I'm at a moment where I'm being tempted to walk by my flesh. But I know what the Word of God says. I've done that and probably do that on a, on a, not as regular as I was, because I'm a little, I'm stronger now than I was, but I do it now even more, especially with me and Abel. We'll do it. We're bouncing. Look, I know the word of God says I'm healed. I know the word of God says I'm prosperous. But right now, the wind and the waves, I'm, I'm, I'm endeavoring to keep my eyes on Jesus, and I am, but I'm asking you to stand with me. Boy, now you get a power of agreement. Now you get somebody to come alongside and you go, Father, in the name of Jesus. And then you walk away from there and you just, you feel like, come on, I got some more. Let's go. You feel like one can put up that. See, this is where community, uh, what we talked about last night was, uh, what we talked about was community, the fellowship of the brethren. That's where that comes together because now you and I can come together and say, well, let me pray for you. No, I'm going to agree with you. Father, we rebuke this disease. We rebuke this financial drought. We take authority over this attack. And you stand together. And who in the world can stand against us? The blessing. The highest level of faith is to believe God for somebody else's needs. That's a higher degree of faith. And sometimes the best, you know, the kingdom of God works backwards from the natural realm. So, in other words, if, if you're believing God to get out of debt... Uh, I'm not saying this as, a, as an absolute statement, but what I am saying is then perhaps the best way for you to get out of debt is to help somebody else get out of debt. In other words, not that you sacrifice your financial stability and the overall health of your family 
but that maybe you begin to exercise your faith and sow seed into someone else's debt relief because that's the kingdom of God at work. The principle of sowing and reaping. So faith works the same, the same way. So you and I, if, if, if I can believe God with you, and you can believe God with me, then now instead of a thousand and a thousand working on your problem and a thousand working on my problem, now we got 10,000 working on your problem and 10,000 working on my problem. And I don't have as much attention on my problem. I'm focused on your problem and I'm believing for you and you're believing for me. And it's a reciprocal thing that now it's like, sometimes it's easier to believe God for somebody else's miracle than it is yours. Because it takes your mind and your focus and your attention off of you and on somebody else. And when you see that it exercises that. And he said, he that, shall, he, that be, he that desires to be first shall be last. And he that desires to be last shall be first. Somehow the kingdom of God works that way. It's like if you, if you are tired of not having any friends, the Bible says to be friendly. The answer to not having friends is be friendly. The answer for you and your problems is to pray for one another. Amen. Lord, we thank you for revelation and insight. Lord, I just ask that you take all these things that we've talked about, all these nuggets, and now help us to put them in our spiritual tool bags. And as we leave here tonight and walk throughout the week, that we're exercising our faith, that we're firmly persuaded in what you've said. And we're going to allow what we believe according to the Word of God now to dictate what we think, what we say, and what we do in the areas in our life that you're putting your finger on that we're being challenged in. We believe that in Jesus' name. We're going to do it, and we're going to help each other. We're going to encourage one another, and we're going to keep each other accountable. Are you allowing what you're thinking, what you're saying, and what you're doing to be dictated by what you believe or by what you feel? We're going to help each other, challenge each other, and encourage one another, Father. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for the encourager, the Holy Spirit, that will encourage us and prompt us, not only to encourage us, but prompt us to encourage one another. And like Brother Denku said, that this is about more than just us. It's about each other. And help us to walk and to live like that practically every day. In the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, Amen.